The Lord be with you. If you've been around the church enough and with sufficient exposure, it begins to feel like maybe we can get a grip on this Jesus of Nazareth character, doesn't it? He's a wise teacher. He's a miracle worker. He's gentle and kind. The Holy One who brings good news and gives himself for the world. Some of the best flannel graph lessons I ever saw in my life were stories like this. Feeding of the multitude with those tiny little loaves and fish. Walking on water, healing sick people. Miracle stories and wise teachings. These are highlights of scripture, revealing the shape of God's work in the world. And it's only natural that we're drawn to them because they're spectacular and beautiful stories. But if we keep reading the Gospels, it doesn't take very long to find Jesus saying and doing all sorts of strange and confusing and troubling things. Why did Jesus just curse that tree? Why did he tell me to hate my mother? Why is he rubbing mud in that guy's eyes? And here's a big one. If Jesus is so meek and mild, why does he spend so much time yelling at those people? Yeah, now that you mention it, Jesus does get angry at people more than a few times in the Gospels. As a general theme, it seems to run throughout his interactions. It's disconcerting and awkward. It's kind of troubling, even, because he saves most of his harsh words for religious people. He scolds and rebukes and calls out the devout and the pious and the practicing people, and he's super, super hard on the professional clergy types. How awkward that must have been for them. (laughs) Last week, Jesus, or last week in the Jesus story, Ryan walked us through part one of this story. It's Jesus' hometown visit to Nazareth. The faith community, which had known him his whole life, can't you hear people saying, I changed his diapers. Jesus made his visit home right after he'd finished being tempted by the devil, fasting in the wilderness. Luke tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. We should make sure we hear that. In the power of the Spirit is just so you don't miss this gospel language that tells us Jesus' ministry is on the move. It's in full swing. He's, prophetic, he's full of prophetic authority and mission overflowing with holy purpose. In Nazareth, in the midst of his own people, Jesus got up and chose that famous text from Isaiah. Not just any old text. It's the year of Jubilee text. Jubilee. That time of great national celebration. A time when people's debts were forgiven. Slaves were set free. And the mercy of God was celebrated. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As theological ideas and sermon topics and biblical promises go, could you pick a more popular sermon? Poverty in all of its varieties, bondage and debt, blindness, suffering, the deep desire to be seen and known by God, looked on with favor. Jubilee is just naming the plight and trouble of the human condition and asking for help. It's almost too easy, really. How many million prayers throughout the ages have been shaped like this? Have mercy on us, God. Set us free. Make us whole. Heal us. Care for us. Help us to truly see. Amen. But then he just drops it on them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In essence, I am walking, talking, healing, restoring Jubilee. I'm that guy. The guy you've always heard about, it's me. The kid you always knew but didn't think much of, Joseph's son. Luke tells us that all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Sure, it's a bit of a surprise, but... They're receptive, maybe even a little excited. Now, they don't tell us where Jesus went to preaching school, but let's just say his next move is unconventional. And it's a little more than shocking, because what he says transforms a room full of amazed congregants, excited worshipers, family, friends. It turns them into a bloodthirsty mob of people who immediately jump up from their seats full of intent to kill Jesus, the hometown hero. That preacher needs to die, and I don't care whose son he is. What kind of sermon can flip the murder switch on a congregation? Should we, <clears throat> should we try to hear today? What provokes a room full of receptive, religious, observant people? to such an ugly response. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things we have heard you did at Capernaum. Can't you just hear the mumbles of the people? Well, naturally, you're the local boy with the connections. LeBron built a school in his hometown. Is it so crazy that we could expect some perks? Maybe some special deals for our little town? You're the guy, after all. Maybe we can finally put this lousy little town on the map. Nazareth gets to be ground zero for the coming day of Jubilee in the favor of the Lord. But then Jesus tells two Bible stories. From First and Second Kings, Elijah and Elisha stories. Famous prophets, famous for their miracles, their grit. People who called fire down from heaven, raised the dead, who confronted wicked kings and queens. Prophet stories they'd all heard a hundred times. There were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up, three years and six months. And there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a, a, 
widow at Zarephath in Sidon. It's been estimated that as many as 70 million people died from famine and starvation in the 20th century alone. It's probably the same for you as it is for me, but the graphic images of those terrible tragedies are burned into my imagination. Those events are commemorated with such solemn remembrance and great sorrow. Stories of these terrible chapters in history still fill us with disbelief and shame. It's an image like this that Jesus brought to mind for his first story. A starving nation suffering such agony and humiliation. It's a difficult conversation at the very best of times. And then just to rub a little extra salt in the wound, we're reminded that the widow at Zarephath, a foreigner, an idol worshiper, saved by a miraculous provision. You remember the story? That little jar of oil and flour that just kept on giving? And then that woman was doubly blessed when the prophet Elijah brought her son back from the dead. Jesus interrupts his sermon with the story of national tragedy. And that time, God brought healing and provision to a pagan foreigner in a strange land. This is brutal. This is blunt. This is too much. Can you see how maybe those gathered people who paid their tithes and volunteered each week for coffee hour at the synagogue might have had trouble hearing this reading? Jesus' second Bible story is more of the same. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. This time it's another brutal image. That terrifying and disfiguring disease like leprosy. Bodies of people wasting away. And who gets healed? Naaman, the Syrian. He's a foreign military commander. He's the sort of man who rides with his posse into Israel and captures young girls to take as slaves. That is the guy that God heals from leprosy. In other words, Nazareth, hometown, local synagogue, don't count for any special treatment. The promised favor of the Lord is on the move, and it's not for a little party of select few. This isn't a local project. This is a global movement, and all sorts of surprising people are going to find themselves in this story. So don't get any ideas about cutting to the front of the line or calling in any favors. The question is, did Jesus really need to be so vivid with these stories? Was it really necessary to call to mind these, call to mind these sad chapters in Israel's story? And the strange inclusion of these outsiders and enemies? Couldn't Jesus have just let them down a little easier? Well, for one thing, it's pretty clear. Jesus' hard words sure drive the point home. At a time when his ministry and his work was so brand new, there could be no misunderstanding in anyone's mind that the local boy from Nazareth was going to be a hometown hero. 
In the power of the Spirit, Jesus' work is just getting going. And the scope and breadth of his ministry was going to turn a lot of heads. The people he would eat with, the people he would heal, the people he would bless, the people he would forgive, all sorts of strange people. This path of inclusion of the outsider, jubilee at work on a global scale, And it begins with the complete rejection of anything that even remotely resembles preferential treatment for a special few. Favors for your family and your friends is not how you start a church. It's actually the recipe for a criminal organization, if we're honest. Time and again, Luke's gospel presses this theme. The last people you'd expect to get invited. Forgettable people, poor people, scandalous people with the wrong credentials and bad credit scores. With a dull and predictable irony, so many religious communities in history, in a really short time sometimes, transform themselves from grateful gatherings, found strangers, discovered people on the fringes. And they turned themselves into a protective little club with perks and assurances for a select few, connections and discounts for the insiders. God's dream for the world includes such unlikely additions precisely because it aims for the broadest possible outcome. It's why you and I are here today, a grateful gathering of found strangers, found people. Each week we pray a version of that same prayer. Have mercy on us, O God. Set us free. Make us whole. Heal us. Care for us. Help us truly see. And if we do see, we get to see Jubilee at play in the world. We have been included. In Christ, we are redeemed, made part of the family. That being said, the temptations of religion and tribal community, competition, isolation, let's say it, just playing it safe even, those temptations will always be with us. The instincts to build walls around our sacred spaces Guard our holy moments so they're just for us. We need the life of the Spirit in our midst to urge us on and call us out into the world. For the last year or so, our Church Council Identity Committee has been working on an updated inclusion statement. Some of you have probably already seen a draft of this document. It's a work in progress, and in a few weeks, we're actually going to have a community forum to discuss and review the latest version. So far, it goes something like this. Celebrating the God-given worth of every person, we seek to worship and act in solidarity with people displaced, silenced, and harmed by injustice. We have much to learn as we undertake this difficult work of healing relationships, damaged by our complicity with and indifference to forms of oppression, including, but not limited to, racism, sexism, homophobia, colonialism, classism.
We are committed to learning from the lived experiences of others, engaging in critical self-reflection and ongoing spiritual formation. We pray for wisdom and humility as we find our way forward. A document like this is an exercise and a practice in listening to the Spirit together. It isn't just because we're trying to be nicer people or the woke church. It isn't just about us trying harder. It's about us learning to see the contours and varieties of God's jubilee in the world. So we might see the deep connection, the common humanity with our sisters and brothers the world over. Listening to the voices of the people we've failed to hear. Growing in us the courage to knock down barriers. Because the walls we build only serve to hem us in and cut us off from our common life. Because the community of God is wider and more beautiful The expanse of God's jubilee is deeper and more alive than anything we could ever dream up ourselves. Thanks be to God.